but not a peep of help on how couples can better manage their time together. Stephen Rekshaven, author of Time Shifting, must have had it right when he said, we think much more about the use of our money, which is renewable, than we do about the use of our time, which is irreplaceable. Strange, isn't it? The moments we miss together as a couple are gone forever irreplaceable. And yet until now, there's not been a single book for couples on how to better manage this priceless resource. That's what compelled us to write this book. As a married couple, we're determined to take back the time we've been missing together and maximize the moments we have. Since you're reading this book, we know you probably feel the same way. In fact, we urge you right now to consider what your life together would look like if time was on your side, if you managed time more than it managed you. Be as concrete as you can, but don't talk about how your schedules might change. That typically turns into a gripe session. Instead, focus on what the emotional and relational consequences would be for each of you if you were to slay the busyness monster and have the kind of time together you long for. In other words, how will you know when you're maximizing your moments together? The question. Mario and Melissa, living in the fast lane and dangerously close to a collision, came to see us for counseling. We feel like strangers, they told us. We share the same address and sleep in the same bed, but our relationship has become nothing more than a pit stop with a dried up fuel pump. Mario and Melissa were running on empty, and they knew it. The consequence? On the one hand, Melissa felt isolated and alone and would often say, I feel like I'm on my own. Mario gets impatient and short with me these days and it makes me withdraw. Mario, on the other hand, felt burdened and sometimes nagged. He'd tell us, Melissa doesn't understand the pressure I'm under at work, so I've quit talking about it. They squabbled for a while about balancing childcare while working and they whined and complained about not having enough time. But before the conversation escalated, we intervened by asking the question, how will you know when you're maximizing your moments together? The room fell silent. We handed each of them a pencil and a paper and asked them to write their answer. I don't need to write it, Mario said as he set the paper aside. I already have the answer. We'll be maximizing our moments together when we both feel understood and, and like we're on each other's team. Melissa agreed. That's right, like we used to before life got so busy. We spent the next few minutes making their answer more concrete. We challenged them to identify specific times when they last felt this way. We talked about how and when these times happened. They both agreed the experience had to do with feeling fully present and invested in each other. They didn't want to feel judged or lay blame. They wanted to play tennis together again and laugh more and enjoy each other's company. The very process of discussing the positive outcome of maximizing their time seemed to make it more within reach. So why don't you take a moment right now to do the same? Get concrete about what your life together would be like if you were maximizing your moments. This will ensure that you get the most out of this audiobook. The more specific you can be, the better. And consider your answer as a work in progress. You'll fine-tune it as we move through the next few chapters together. That being said, we want to clear up any potential for unnecessary anxiety or misunderstanding right at the start. This is not a book about being more productive. It's a book about being more connected. And it's not a book about going back in time to an idealized pre-industrial era where a slower pace romantically resolves all ills for couples. 
This is a book about real life in the real world. It's written by a busy couple with two little kids, by frequent flyers who speed dial our cell phones, instant message, drive in the express lane, and juggle schedules. In other words, if you have an unspoken fear that we are going to ask you to do something radical and shortchange your productivity in the process, and then make you feel guilty if you don't, you can relax. We just want to help you become more connected with each other as you're traveling at the speed of life. And we couldn't be more excited to share with you the secrets we've learned about doing just that. After scouring numerous studies, interviewing experts, and experimenting with techniques, we believe we've developed a program that will allow you to reclaim the moment you've been missing together. Whether you're running at a breathless rate, living on the edge of exhaustion, or simply looking for new and practical ways to stay connected, we want to give you the tools for feeding your time-starved relationship and maximizing each moment you have. At the end of each chapter, we'll refer to a workbook exercise which is contained in the printed workbook. We encourage you to purchase a copy of this workbook so you'll be able to achieve the maximum benefit from the concepts and helps in your time-starved marriage. And now, we arrive at the workbook exercise, Maximizing Your Time Quotient. To maximize your time quotient, this workbook exercise will use a pie chart to help you determine more precisely where and how you're currently using your time. You'll also pinpoint how much time you're spending together and how you'd most like to spend this time. Chapter 2. Is Your Marriage Slipping into the Future? In 1973, a song by Jim Croce plinked out on nearly every radio station in the country. Time in a Bottle was the number one hit that autumn. In the song, Jim spoke of wanting to make the days he had with his wife last forever. And his haunting course reminded us that there never seems to be enough time with the one you love. The personal poignancy of Croce's song could have never been predicted upon its release. Just days later, on September 20th, 1973, Jim Croce's light aircraft was taking off from a small airstrip in Natchitoches, Louisiana, when the plane snagged a treetop at the end of the dim runway, sending Jim and five others to their death. Jim's wife Ingrid was left with only their infant son, who was half-blind, and the heartbreaking legacy of a song she must have heard nearly everywhere she turned that year and every year since. Today, Ingrid owns a restaurant in San Diego called Croce's, where a giant mural portrait of Jim takes up the back wall. It serves as an inspiration to me, Ingrid once told a reporter, to remember how fragile life is and to never, ever take for granted the time we have with the one we love. Many of Jim Croce's songs touch on our feeble attempts to reach back and grasp at a past that has nearly slipped away. Operator and I've Got a Name are two that easily come to mind. In his brief 30-year life, Jim Croce already had a handle on the significance of time and its tenuous relationship to marriage. And chances are that you too are well aware of the fleeting nature of time. We all know that time passes so quickly. If we could save time in a bottle, there's little doubt what we would do with it. And yet the time we do have, the precious time that is given to us each day, is too often frittered away. Preparing for a time that's already here. 
Why does it seem we squander the very thing we want to save? Because more often than not, we're so busy preparing for the future that we miss out on the moment at hand. We realized that truth early in our marriage. When we were both in graduate school and newly married, we lived in a tiny apartment in Southern California. Tucked into the corner of our main room, actually the only room, was a desk and a computer where we spent an inordinate amount of time. Day or night, it seemed, one of us was on that computer working away at a term paper or dissertation. And taped to the top edge of the computer screen was a small piece of paper containing a quote from Abraham Maslow. We placed it in this prominent position where we would see it every day. It read, Some people spend their entire lives indefinitely preparing to live. Why this quote? Because Les and I were beginning six long years of demanding graduate work, and we knew we were vulnerable to a deadly trap, putting life on hold until the grueling task was finished. Once we graduate was a tempting refrain. Once we graduate, we'll take a vacation. We'll have time to take walks. We'll eat better. We'll focus on our relationship. We'll enjoy life. Of course, you don't have to be working at a PhD to be swindled by this empty promise. After a graduation, the temptation simply evolved. Once we get a job, or once we pay off our student loans, once we buy a house, you get the idea. Like every other couple, we were susceptible to spending our married lives indefinitely preparing to live. We've all been there. If you're honest, you've been tempted to put life on hold, to put off enjoying time together because an important milestone was standing in your way, or maybe it still is. Do any of these phrases sound familiar? Once the kids are older, once I get my raise, once we get a new house, once I quit my job, or if you haven't put life on hold as you're preparing to live it, maybe you found yourself on the proverbial someday aisle, a euphemism for the tropical vacation that never materializes. Someday I'll have more free time. Someday I'll take you on that great trip. Someday I'll build that porch we've always wanted. Someday. It's been said that the saddest word in our language is someday. Why? Because someday eventually turns into if only. And if onlys are the result of time you can't recoup. If only we could have made more time. If only we would have taken that trip. If only we would have built that porch. If only. It's that.